Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Here with Rob McClanahan, one of the preeminent trainers in all of basketball. His client list has been a who's who of the most important and dominant influential players of this past decade. Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Derek Rose, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Love, and many more. Rob has a new book out called Network, Training the NBA's Best and Finding the Keys to Greatness, a great read that's really a window into this past decade of change in the NBA. Rob has been on the ground floor of it all. Really enjoyed my visit with Rob McClanahan. Thank you, Will, too. Here's Rob. The book is really good, and I've had a chance to read most of it, and it's an interesting roadmap, not just to your career as a trainer, Rob, but to the way the NBA has evolved and changed in the last year you've been in the league, uh, or the last decade, I should say, that you've done this. And to me, especially, I think, in your story, you know, you, you were a walk-on at Syracuse, you tried college coaching for a little bit. And you end up with the Wasserman Media Group with Arn Tellum, who at the time was perhaps the preeminent agent in the league. And at the time, it wasn't new. You know, Neil Olshay, who's the president in Portland, had your job years earlier and worked his way up with the Clippers as an assistant to general manager to becoming one of the league's best president GMs in Portland in that training job for Wasserman. And essentially, right, Rob, you would... They would sign their players that they were going to have for the draft, and you were their workout guy at a little Catholic church in Santa Monica, St. Monica, that people don't realize at any time of the day in the spring, I guess in the spring, pre-draft or in the summer back then, you could be walking by this tiny little gym, and there's an NBA All-Star game going on inside of there. Yeah, I mean, uh, I went on, started with Warsman in 07, 08, and, uh, you know, it was kind of different how we did it compared to, I think, the, the guys in the past, because what we did was, we were the first one to actually have a guy that did it all year long. So I didn't just do pre-draft and summer and then, alright, see you next spring. It was kind of like, I was kind of on, basically retainer with Warsman to go see their guys in season. You know, so it was, it was fascinating, the kind of new thing that we kind of created, um, you know, just to be the only working out with some guys, going to see them during the season, you know, so starting a pre-draft, work them out in the summer, and then, hey, Rob's going to come see you in season as well. Your Mount Rushmore of clients, and you go through, we mentioned Steph Curry, but Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Derek Rose, all MVPs in the league, Kevin Love, perennial all-stars, client you've had from the very beginning, you've been very close with, John Wall, uh, Russell Westbrook, uh, the list goes on, but let, let's, that 2008 pre-draft, the group you had, and I think at the time, you look back, it was a really interesting draft. Russell Westbrook goes fourth to Oklahoma City. Uh, Kevin Love goes fifth. I think it was actually Memphis and traded to Minnesota, right? Yeah. With, uh, OJ Mayo and that deal. Yeah. But you were, as teams were jockeying in that draft and go through the guys you had in that draft who were working out with you, I just remember, I think it felt like that whole draft was going through that little gym in Santa Monica 100%. because half of the lottery was in there with you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, besides Kevin Love, who wasn't with Warsaman, I also had, uh, you know, Rose, um, Westbrook, Brooke and Robin Lopez, uh, Gallinari, Augustine, and Anthony Randolph. There are bigger stories in this, but you reminded me with Brooke and Robin Lopez. 
I've heard there are some legendary stories of those two <laughs> in that pre-draft yeah. going at it, including like one of them getting mad and taking like the ball rack and throwing it up against the wall. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's pretty accurate. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, they they were very competitive, uh, and you know this is is the two twin brothers, so they 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 fought like twin brothers and they competed like twin brothers. So I didn't really get mad at it. All I all I said to the older brother was, "I'm not getting in between it." <laughs> uh, you know, so it's a few times the older brother was up there, big guy, great guy, uh, and when, when they started to go out a little bit, and maybe went against the wall a little bit. He ran down and split it up, and I just kind of ran away. <laughs> but, yeah, they were really competitive, just two of the best guys I've ever met in the league. Um, but, yeah, they, they had a little a little jazz to them, yeah. The Russell Westbrook, that pre-draft process to me was really one of the most interesting because, you know, of all the draft successes they've had in Oklahoma City, um, and they took Durant at number two and Greg Oden went number one and James Harden at four his year and Serge Ibaka in the twenties, who was, you know, they, they've, um, Steven Adams was, you know, yeah. in the lottery, yeah. but Westbrook was really interesting because he was an under recruited player to UCLA had not put up incredible numbers in his two years of college. He didn't play that much at all. Yeah. What was he like when he walked in the gym? What did you see in him? Because he wasn't one of the guys everybody was talking about. You had Derrick Rose there. He was the consensus number one pick. There was yeah. no doubt about that. Love was the UCLA player everybody talked about. Yeah. What do you remember when Westbrook walked in the gym and you didn't know much about him? What, what, what do you see right away? Yeah, I mean, I, I first met Russell uh, the summer before sophomore year. Uh, he came in with uh, with Kevin to work out me a little bit. Um, so Kevin said, can I bring in, you know, this, this guy who plays with me at UCLA. I'm, I'm about to be my teammate. And I said, yeah, sure, bring him in. So he came in. And honestly, I didn't know much about him because he was playing not that many minutes a game at all his freshman year. And um, immediately I, I saw very competitive within the workout, very focused. I think he was like 45 minutes early, which he always is. Um, and then we started doing some drills at the rim. And. I was like, whoa, what's, what's, what's going on here? Cause it's not like he would just like slowly dunk. Every dunk Russell would do, just like in the games, you know, as in a workout, he tried to break the rim off. Uh, you know, so it was very interesting to me. Uh, you know, he, he did have a decent, you know, little mid-range stuff like that, but his, his athletic ability and his competitiveness was just off the charts, which you don't usually see too early on in workouts. Guys at that age, they don't really know how to work yet. Um, because their whole life, they just, you know, they just got through it without, you know, just, just being everybody based on skill. Uh, so, but Russell every, every day started really, really showing me, whoa, this, this guy keeps working like this. Who knows how good he can be? And then I got him in the draft and, you know, and, and it's funny because he brought up those players because the, the final four was Kevin Love and Russell versus Derek Rose. In Memphis. And, yeah. Yeah. At the final four in San Antonio. So it was kind of crazy to see that happen. And then, you know, basically two weeks later, have these guys, in, you know, for pre-draft. The wars between Derrick Rose and Russell Westbrook going head-to-head -head in that little gym in Santa Monica at the height of, you know, Derrick's athlete. Nobody, I mean, he was as athletic and explosive of a guard as the league's ever seen. Yeah, the youngest MVP in league history. Certainly, that was remarkable. But Oklahoma City, you know, I looking back, and they really labored on. Brooke Lopez versus Russell Westbrook with that fourth overall pick. And I think if you took a consensus around the league of people who were not in those, who weren't in the gym every day with Russ and had seen what they had seen, Brooke had been just a more well-known player and he was big. He was a big man. Yeah. 
uh, and very skilled uh, at, at Stanford, Oklahoma City was going out on a limb, and, and their staff, Sam Presti and then Troy Weaver, who at the time was assistant GM, now he has a elevated title. You knew Troy. Uh, both of you had a background at Syracuse with Jim Beheim. You had, assistant coach. he was the assistant coach and you, and you were a, a walk on, yep. on the team. And, and so, um, what do you remember about their thought process? And it took some courage for them to draft Westbrook. He was, he was different. Like you said, he didn't shoot it really well. Um, but they kept calling, they kept saying he had raw talent, you know, raw ability. Um, and so I, I, I you know, they had seen Brooke and, and Russell work out in the, in the, in the group workout that we do with St. Monica's, which was, by the way, it was one of the, you know, one of the most frightening things for me, at, you know, at, to that point, because I look up in the stands, it's Pat Riley, it's Jerry West, it's, you know, it's everybody. So that was the first time, like, whoa, whoa, this is serious stuff, you know? So they, they saw them work out and then they want to do a private workout with Russell, just a one-on-one private, you know, no contact kind of thing. So we did it at a private gym in Bel Air. And Troy and Sam came in, and I worked out Russell a good, a good 40 minutes. And I took him through uh, mostly stuff at the rim. And then Russell's, you know, at the time, he, no, he needed to work on the jump shot. So everything I want, I, I want to show his explosiveness. I don't care if he hit 10 straight jump shots. I knew if I could show his explosiveness and his tenacity at the rim, and and he never gets tired. And just showed for 40 minutes straight with no water break, it's just going to help him. So yeah, that happened, and then you know the, the the crazy story is after Troy, Sam, and I decided to go to Cheesecake and get some lunch. Well, it wasn't just lunch. It's, this <laughs> this was a uh, hey, Rob. We know you work out Brooke. We know you work out Russell. We don't know where to go right now with this. You've seen them a lot, uh, both of them every day for like this this point six seven weeks probably. This is probably a week before the draft. This is not like <laughs> May. So they just asked me, you know, basically, what would you do? If you're us. Now, I'm not saying I helped them make any picture or anything like that. All I'm saying is, you know, I told them, listen, I worked out both. And, and you're asking me a weird question. You're asking me about two different guards or two different bigs. You're asking me right. about a big and a guard. So I don't know what you guys need right now, what you think you need. Um, and I'm probably not going to, you know, relay this information of what I, what I said. But it was, it was a weird moment for me because I knew at this point, you know, I'm more in the mix than I th- really think I am, you know. Um, but that was, uh, that was a moment where, it was definitely uh, crazy how, you know, when I work out these guys for eight straight weeks, I'm kind of seeing them more than anybody. And the GMs now are coming to me for advice on, on what to do. And, and that's what's interesting. And I think that, you know, pre-draft has become really um, sophisticated uh, in a lot of ways in terms of the preparation and the mm-hmm. um, strategy. strategy that teams put into it. But your job as a workout guy, as a trainer – for an agent is to put the player in the best possible light. And so in those workouts, like you said, you, you didn't want Russell Westbrook out shooting a lot of jump shots. It wasn't a strength. He differentiated himself with his athleticism way he attacked the basket. And that's always the push and pull, right, of pre-draft because you say if you have Pat Riley and Danny Ainge and uh, Sam Presti and R.C. Buford and Jerry West, Jerry West yeah. and they come in the gym – they want to see weaknesses. They know what a guy does well. That's obvious to everybody. They're trying to figure out where are the holes because they're trying to compare them to other people, other yep. players. And your job is simply to not show any of it. Exactly. And so, like, th- there's a push and pull in the gym of, hey, Rob, can you please show us this? And you're like, you know, you got the agent going, no, uh, yeah, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, that, that's the biggest thing with me. You know, in the pre-draft process, you're really working for the agent. 
you know, the agent in the pre-draft process is the one that's actually employing you, not the player, because the player doesn't have a paycheck yet, right? So uh, I, I'm working for the agent. I have to go on the, what the agent says. I think that a lot of these top picks, a big thing is no contact, not only not playing with other players, but also with me, just let you know, just no contact, you know, one on zero kind of thing they call it. Um, and that's kind of what I had to do. So, yeah, when Jerry West comes up to you and says, "Hey, can you do this?" and, and I got to say, "No," you know, it's not really what I want to <laughs> do. But I also want to keep my my job. So, yeah, there's definitely a strategy behind it, not only for the uh, you know me as a trainer, but also you know as as the agent to protect your player as much as you can. What, what's the angriest you've ever seen a? Because sometimes it's not a group of GMs; it's one guy coming through or a coach coming through. What was the most pissed off you remember anybody where they just felt like, hey, I didn't fly all the way out here for this. I want to see that. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say pissed off, but actually after that big group workout of those seven of the top 15 picks for, uh, for Warsaw at the time, I mean, it had to be, you were there, it had to be 150 people. It was ridiculous. Um, again, because we had the lottery. And the funny thing is having half the lottery like Aaron did, he was controlling that whole draft. You know, so people really want to know what went on in that gym that day because the dominoes start to fall if you think someone's going somewhere, right? So after that workout, Brooke and Robin worked out together. And, again, no contact. I'll never forget it. Ten minutes later after the workout, Pat Raleigh comes up to me. And he says, hey, man, that's some good stuff. Like, and it was, you know, it was more than flattering. He goes, but let me do some stuff with them. And he just walks down the court. And I'm like, well. <laughs> Uh, all right, I, I don't know. <laughs> and next thing you know, he's in there banging with Brooke and, and passing and, and, you know, telling the true jump shot, fouling him. And I'm like, oh, no. My dude, you know, he's, <laughs> but I don't know what – I'm not kicking Pat Riley off the court, especially in L.A., you know. So, <laughs> so, uh, that's kind of what happened there. It was only 10, 15 minutes, but before you know it, he was out there sweating with them. So it was kind of funny, but I just going to let him be. But Yeah, and, and, you know, that group and then the draft comes, and it, it's a draft that really – I think it really set a lot of things into motion in the league in the next, you know, over that next, you know, decade plus since then. The other year that to me was really interesting is the 2010 free agency. Derek Rose is the reigning MVP in the league. He's coming off of, uh, no, he was one year away from the MVP. He was about to be, he he was an MVP in 2010, 11, right? Um, but certainly had taken the league by storm. Chicago was a contender with him, and the thought was, hey, whether it was Dwayne Wade coming back to Chicago or LeBron joining him in Chicago, you know, the whole talk of what happened in Miami, until the end there was a lot of discussion about it in Chicago. You were in the gym that summer with Rose every day, and so I know whether it was management agents hey do you want to get on the phone with these guys like what do you remember about the dominoes falling uh because a lot of it did center around Derek that summer oh of course I mean listen we all know Derek he's just a very humble soft-spoken guy no social media um you know he kind of keeps to himself you know and when he wants to work he just wants to work and we're in Chicago when this whole free agency stuff was going on in July and I was working him out at the Bulls facility uh when they were back in the suburbs there and um I forget who it was um, but someone in management uh, came down, basically while we're like doing form shooting. And hey, Derek, come here, come over for a second, you know. And this is when LeBron was taking interviews, and I think they were about to fly out to see him the next day or something. Yeah. And uh, and he came back to me. I don't know what they said, but so what was that all about? Yeah, Miller Johnny. They they want me to go, you know, help recruit LeBron. And I said, you're gonna go? He goes, hell no, I'm not going. You know, it's, it wasn't, of course he wanted LeBron out of the team. It wasn't like that. It's just, I'm here. You want to come play? Let's, let's do this together. But I don't need to go recruit 
another man to come play with me. It just he just didn't want to do it, you know. And management obviously did want him to do it. Um, and Derek refused to go, and, and you know ended up not going. You know, his thing was, I'm here. You know me. You can call me. You can face him. Whatever you want to do. Of course, I want to play with you, but I'm not going to go to cop on a flight and beg someone to come play with me. You know, that's just that's just the way it is, and that's the way Derek is. And you know, I was with him. And you had been around Rob not only the pre-draft workouts, and like you said, then as the players get into the league, you continue year-round where you go spend a week or 10 days yeah. with a player during the season and then go bounce and see another, and th- th- there's relationships built over time. But another place you were around a lot of was USA Basketball at the time. Yeah. You, you know, Jim Beheim was on, Sad. and Mike Hopkins, who's at Washington now, they were on Shish- Mike Krzyzewski's staff, and for a lot of the players, you were their trainer, and so you were around it. Could you imagine the teaming up that came, and a lot of it emanated and was born around the time they spent with USA Basketball. Could you see that coming in the time you were there? Did you imagine that that's what those relationships were going to turn into, the relationship building that led to the super teams? Yeah, I mean, you could definitely see the, the camaraderie of these guys and, and their friendships. And listen, you know, these guys weren't, weren't interested together for, like, the Olympics. They were together starting in Vegas on their first day for the next a good six weeks, you know, um, across the world on the planes together, in hotels together, going out together, getting dinners together every night in Vegas and, and you know, all the pre-Olympic stuff around the country. So yeah, you definitely see the camaraderie that they were building over time and you'll see maybe a couple of like, uh, you know, three guys going off on their own, these other three guys going off on their own, you could see it kind of mm-hmm. building. Now, that I think would lead to what's happening now in the league? No, I can't say I did, but the Olympics definitely, you're definitely right on that, that had a lot to do with it. You know, and, and maybe plan together. Hey, I'm a free agent in a year. How about you do this kind of deal? We'll, we'll both be free agents at the same time. And uh, I, I can see that definitely happening. The book is Network Training the NBA's Best and Finding the Keys to Greatness with trainer Rob McClanahan. The book's available this week uh, at bookstores everywhere. You can obviously go online. And get it. It's it's published by Scribner. It is a great read for NBA fans. For I think really for people who care about basketball at all levels. And one thing, Rob, and listen, people will bring you in, and you'll work with people's kids. You're not with an NBA player or a right. prospect all the time. And there's people who will, you know, pay you. Some people you have relationships with you help or want to just fly you down for a week and work out. It's become a industry for you, for Rob McClanahan, for, for others. You can make a living at this. There's not many who make a living at this, and you were one of the first who was able to build a trust with players and, and then you know be with them throughout their career and, and then keep working out younger guys as they come through. What has the industry, though, changed around young people like the expectations there's parents have that somehow you could come in because you work with NBA players and sprinkle some magic right. Rob McClanahan dust and, <laughs> right. you know, little Johnny somewhere can become a, a pro. What, what do you see at that parents, that grassroots level now that that maybe has been spawned through this industry of, of you being with pros and thinking of, you know, getting you access to their kids going to transform them? Yeah, I mean, listen, is definitely a lot of parents that, you know, approach me thinking, because oh, I've worked with these, these amount of players and MVPs, what have you, uh, that I can turn their kid into the same, right? Uh, so the first thing I am is just honest with them, straight up, you know, listen, 
I evaluate your kid and, you know, and we'll go from there. But I also think a lot more parents now are doing less camps in like the big college camps. I think they're spending a little more money on private sessions and clinics, uh, across all sports, really. It's fascinating to me because, you know, I would love to have that when I was a kid that one on one attention from a trainer that, you know, someone that trained NBA players, right? But, you know, I, I talk about it in my book. I mean, my workouts aren't really different than NBA players to, to kids. It's, it's somewhat the same workout. You know, I, I don't, you know, I don't, no gimmicks for me. It's not going to be 100 cones out there and a bunch of stuff. It's kind of like just all game stuff. Uh, so that's why I can do kind of both. Uh, and it's really worked for me. You know, I, I just, I really hold guys accountable. That's a big thing with me. The kids with NBA guys, I don't want guys late. I treat them like grown men, not like all stars. Um, you know, and I try to bring a different approach. You know, I think a lot of these guys, their whole life growing up, they have a lot of people that are just yes men. And, you know, I, I try to bring that, hey, listen, I'm not going to be that guy. You know, nine o'clock means, you know, 845. And I think they like that. You, you would think maybe they look at me like, who are you? You're a what kind of Syracuse? But it's the opposite. They actually want someone to hold them accountable. When you go through the Steph Curry's, the Kevin Durant's, the Kevin Loves, the Derek Roses, what's the common thread in the gym with all of these guys? Is is there a common thread or two that weaves through all the great ones? Because you're getting them very often in the off season yeah. when no one's watching and the gym's empty, and it's just, are you coming into work or not? Yeah, yeah. I mean, those guys you just named are, are prime examples. Uh, you know. Obviously, and then Russell and John and, and just guys that – those are guys that never miss workouts, number one. I mean, those guys sometimes in the beginning, especially, I had to turn down, you know, rather than up. You always want to, you always want to turn a guy down and up, but still, I had to tell guys, please take days off. Please take a day off, you know. Um, and Russell's a good example of I, I bet he takes Sundays off. And, and finally, he's like, all right, I'll take a Sunday off. And about 2 o'clock that day, I get a call from a guy I know at UCLA. He's like, yeah, Russell's up here shooting with his father. I'm like, oh, you know, <laughs> he found a gym, you know, but that, that's the difference between those guys and some other guys. I mean, not only do they not miss, but when they show up, they're not wasting any reps. And I always say, don't waste any reps, game reps. And they really don't. And they don't waste any reps. And it's why it's efficient. And they go in sometimes 50 minutes will go, but they're dead. KD would come in 45 minutes, no water break. Wouldn't take a rep off. Just no, want to water? No, let's go. What's next? Boom, boom, boom. 45 minutes, gone. But he's he's dead. And I always say, you know, some of these players, you know, gym rats. They have a gym rat. I was in the gym eight hours, man. It's like, you can't be working that hard in the gym eight hours. You know, it's kind of a way I look at it. Let's be efficient. Come in with me. Go to your lifting and go enjoy your summer, you know? So much, too, of the training now takes you overseas with players, mm-hmm. especially I think you've been on a number of you know, essentially shoe tours through Asia. Yeah. And so you're flying across the world. And you're on the trip because the player, through all the stops and the public appearances and the promotional, like they want to get work in. And so that became the next step of this was traveling around, go with Steph Curry or KD there, and then having to find a gym in China or wherever. Yeah, yeah, I've been lucky. I've been out, you know, to Asia with Steph about five times. I've been there with Derek Rose a couple of times. Make your love did something during the, during the lockout. And I've been overseas with, uh, KD to Europe, and that was, that was a great trip. And, uh, but KD is a great example of just, just relentless working. We once flew from, this is a crazy story, from LAX on a, you know, Nike plane to refuel in New York and then off to Paris. And something happened with the plane in New York. And we had to get a new plane. So it ended up being like a five hour wait for this new plane. So we finally get on it. You know, we're exhausted. Now we still have to fly to Paris. We land, I want to say, around 11 p.m. in Paris. But we're, like, wide awake, you know, because of the time change or whatever. 
So Katie says to me in a little sprinter bus around to the hotel. He turns to me in the bus and he says, hey, well, let's, get, let's get a workout in. I said, yeah, we're good tomorrow night. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, right now. I'm wide awake. Like, it's whatever it was his time, you know, for coming from L.A. I go, right now? He said, yeah. So I ran to the front to Nike guys. I think it was Chuck. And I said, hey, listen, he wants to work out right now. He's like, oh, God. I'm like, just, just, I don't know. Figure it out. He's <laughs> <laughs> your guy. So, and, uh, so they figured it out. We ended up working on, I, I want to say it was Tony Parker's high school. <laughs> and uh, our club team or something like that. And it's one of the best workouts I've ever had with anybody in my life. It was just just where we were, midnight, you know, everyone else is tired but Kevin. And he just, we went an hour and 20. I used to go that long. We, it was just, I was so into it after the first 10 minutes. You know, and then we we finish and we get back to the room. And I remember saying to him, like, that, that's why you're great, man. Like that. You know, and that one workout didn't change his life. But think about doing that 50 times, you know, when you don't have to. He just landed in Paris. He didn't have to do that. But he, he would work out all the time when he didn't have to. And, you know, that's why guys like that are great. And all those guys, too, they're all about working out. Like you said, it's very private. You know, I don't do the Instagram stuff and all that. And, and honestly, either today and back then, it didn't exist as much. But they just want to get their work on it, not knowing what they're working on, not letting anybody else know what they're working on. And take off. Have you thought about that? Maybe having the Instagram post with the hashtag on my grind, yeah. morning grind, right? That's not, not a, uh, I, I don't know, man. Maybe I, down the road? Maybe, maybe down the road. But if I put a camera in front of Kevin Love's face right now, he'd be like, get out of my face. Hey, his Instagram this off season has oh, been, geez. it's been unbelievable. He's been everywhere. Viral. And this guy, yeah, he's been all over the world, over the country. Um, yeah. you know, and, Ke- and Kevin's great. And then Kevin's been to a lot of places. If you, if you followed him, you know, it's been places that just, you know, very healthy places, peaceful places, places where he can just I mean, focus, unwind, work out, eat good. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's had a, he's had a hell of a summer. What's the difference? Uh, you were with Kevin when he transformed his body. He wasn't in good shape yeah. coming out of UCLA and changed his diet. And then I think probably the most thing you would say or anybody around him would believe is the most important transformation he's made is going public with, his mental health challenges and how it's impacted his life. And I think becoming a spokesperson um, in that world, the difference between being around Kevin and and maybe Kevin being in a a different place, you were with him as much as anybody outside of somebody in his organization. What's been the change in being with him and working with him um, since he's maybe unburdened himself with that? Yeah, I definitely noticed uh, he's not, you know, Kevin, he puts a lot of pressure on himself, um, in a good way. You know, he always, he always wants to make sure he eats right, sleeps right, you know, working out the right way, eating all the right foods, getting the right amount of rest. So he, he did. He was stressed out a lot sometimes, very high strung. And I, I think, like, since then, for sure, he's he's much more relaxed, much more in tune uh, with, with everything around him. Uh, he knows what's important in life. Uh, not that he didn't before, but I think now he's just – like you said, I think he's just—it's like a relief, and, and I th- he loves hoop and he loves all that. Obviously, working out, but I think he really, really enjoys helping people. Um, and it's something I don't think there's no way he thought when he did this he'd get this reaction. There's no way. But when now when he's doing these sit downs with you know Michael Phelps, is you know saying he was depressed in front, you know, all it, it, that's that's crazy. And because of Kevin, a lot of these athletes and non-athletes honestly have come out. And, and, and he's trying to destroy the stigma of, 
you know, just I can't. I'm too scared, you know. And I think that was Kevin's problem too. He, he says it in, in the Players Tribune article, and you know, he's Kevin Love. He's an Olympian, world champion. You know, there's no way he could be. You know, he's all this money in the world, um, and he's proven that it doesn't matter. You know, and I've been really proud of him. Um, but yeah, he's definitely in a really, really good place right now. You you have a window into that, I think, with the the best of the best guys and the elite that I know the average person doesn't understand. Why aren't they always happy? Why aren't they content? They're at the top. And I think you see maybe the loneliness to it and also the, you know, not every guy has the family structure and grew up the way Steph Curry did. And Steph, and I I know plenty of players, um, and I think you you probably, I'm sure you do too, who, you know, they look at Steph and, and a lot of people do and they look at, you know, they admire what he has and the relationship with his parents and, and, um, not everybody had that and it right. manifests itself in different ways through the years. But you, you've seen that up close with a lot of guys about, I think, whether it's an emptiness or a loneliness that it's not all maybe everybody thinks it's cracked up to be. No, definitely not. And if you think about it, you know, at 19, what would mean you were doing? You know, 20 years old, we were in college and having some beers and, Maybe sleeping until you know eleven, eleven, and whatever it was, um, not having the pressures to really, you know, support anyone or even myself. And you know, when these guys go pro in nineteen twenty, not only now are, are people maybe around them looking for that support financially, um, but now you have to go and move to Milwaukee or Chicago or you know uh, wherever it is, live by yourself, learn how to do your own laundry. Learn to wake up at seventy breakfast for practice. You know, you have to become adult. And whenever a guy goes pro, I was, you know, they sit down and they usually talk to me, and I they want to know about the workouts. I said, forget the workouts. You need to start living like a pro now, not just play like a pro, live like a pro. So everyone you hire around you or under you is going to affect whatever it is, like Kevin Love Incorporated, whatever it is. You know, so you have to make the right decisions. And now this day and age with social media and cameras and all this stuff, you really got to be careful. Um, so a lot, yeah, a lot of these guys, I've seen the pressures, I've seen the loneliness, uh, you know, being on the road for sometimes, on a, you know, two week East Coast trip by yourself in your own hotel room when you have a lot of downtime. It's not easy for a 20 year old. It's, it's not. I think, you know, as you, as you get more in the league, you get, you get more used to it. But yeah, I, I've seen a lot of these guys, the pressure of not that everybody is having, you know, going at these guys for, for money, whatever it is, it's more just make sure everyone's happy. You, they want everyone happy, but at the same time, you, you need to understand who, you, who you're helping, who you're taking care of. So there's a lot of pressures. When you're 20 years old, you know, those are tough decisions to make. You know, it's tough to say no to your boy from, from you know, back home, whatever, if you needed something, you know. So I can't imagine doing that. I'll never be able to relate to that. But, yeah, you know, I think Kevin, you know, I think Kevin coming out like that, I think maybe helped a lot of people to really reevaluate themselves. Um, I think not only in basketball, but in any sport. And that it's all right to maybe be a little lonely wherever it is. But it's tough. It's a tough way to go from 18 years old at Duke to 19 years old living, you know, in, in NBA City by yourself. Rob, the relationship that you have with NBA teams and front offices and coaching staffs when – Hey, lots of coaches and organizations, they just want their people to be around yeah, yeah. their star player. They've hired a staff. They have a head coach. They have a a program, and they want that player part of it. They don't want it outsourced. How do you learn to, and how do they learn to accept the player's time with you? Because the star player is going to tell them, 
hey, Rob McClanahan's my guy, and he's coming through, whether it's even during the season or, hey, I'm going to be in L.A. with him this summer. We're going to Miami for a few days. I think a lot of them knew you from pre-draft, and they were there were some relationships there. But how does that grow through the years where there's a trust that builds or there's a tension that's always there because, you know, like I said, like a head coach, you know, I want my assistance with this right. player in the summer, not not his trainer. Yeah, early on when I it didn't have like you know a reputation or whatever you want to call it, uh, it was sometimes tough. You know, I said get some, uh, you know, some coaches would definitely uh, give me some resistance. Um, but the thing is, and I've said it, you know, some of these guys have had six, seven, eight different coaching staffs in ten, twelve years, but they've had one trainer. Um, so that's kind of the excuse I think some of these players usually listen. Nothing against you guys, but Rob knows my game better than anybody. I just want to continue what we've been doing for years. Uh, but it happened to me one time in Atlanta with Al Horford. He'd flown me down in season, and uh, this is actually – he wanted me to work him out after shoot-around before a game, before they played Orlando. And um, I, I just come in, just, and it's funny because a lot of these times I just feel so – you know, I, I do feel bad sometimes. You know, the, the practice ended, and I was like, all right, let's go. <laughs> and, and the coaching staff Everybody standing right there. Like, <laughs> so I had – you know, I was like, all right. You know, again, I'm employed by Al Horford. I'm going to do – so we just were working some jab stuff, and uh, I remember Nick Van Exel wasn't wasn't happy at all, um, and he, and he went up. You know, I know he approached Larry Drew and and said, you know, what's going on here? I didn't know Nick. And I don't think Nick was like saying get him out. He was just like, what's going? On? You know, why aren't you working, Al? And fortunately, Al had my back. Went to Larry. This is who I'm working out with, and I knew Larry a little because I worked out his son Larry Drew Jr. So ended up being fine, but. Al made it a little worse that night because they played the game, and the first we worked on a jab step, and I'll never forget it. That sh- after the shoot around, and I said, "You got a jab on Dwight. He's probably thinking you're going to drive right, whatever." So the first play of the game, he jabs right. I'm sitting next to uh, Al's girlfriend at the time. He jabs right. Dwight backs up. He shoots the shoots the shot and goes in off the glass. And Al starts running on the court and starts pointing to me <laughs> like this. And the girlfriend's like, oh, I'm like, no, it's for me. That's <laughs> But the whole coach staff is like, who's he, who's he pointing to? You know, so uh, there's a lot of times I've actually had the opportunity to maybe sit courtside. I usually stay away from that because I don't need guys, hey, Rob, my shot. What's going on with my shot? You know, <laughs> in game. And I get the staff looking at me. But, uh, yeah, it, it's happened to me a few times where there was some resistance. But I think – Especially when you work out the stars, you know, they're not going to really say you can't come in. Um, so 99% of these staffs have been really good with me, and, and a lot of teams have let me use their gym whenever I wanted. I was just with the Knicks, and Scott Perry was great, and he let me work at Alfred for a few days, you know. So, you know, definitely now I think guys know I'm just trying to supplement what they're doing, and I'm not trying to step in anybody's toes. As a matter of fact, I like calling the coach and say, hey, listen, what do you think you're going to play in this year? How are you going to play in Use it. That's kind of how I approach it. Is there a player you've worked out that has not heard about your three-pointer against Cornell for the Orangemen? Uh, the two three-pointers, you mean? Uh, two three-pointers, um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> not, but I'll tell you quick. <laughs> yes, it was like game two of the season. So first of all, yeah. you grew up in Rhode Island. Yep. You go to Syracuse. You're very good high school player, all-state player. Yep. You go to Syracuse with the idea of trying to walk on to Jim Beheim's yeah. team. Yeah, very arrogantly thinking I'm just going to make the team easy. So freshman year, I worked out with the team the whole preseason, and I asked coach. Finally, he you know he got back to me and Hop and Bernie Fine, and uh, they let me work out with the team. But you know, once once the tryouts came, I didn't make the team. 
my freshman year. And I was really, really upset about it. And so I asked Coach Beheim and his strength coach, what should I do? And then, well, first of all, put on 30 pounds of muscle. That would be good. <laughs> so I was like, okay, fine. I came back with 32 pounds of muscle extra that I put on. They couldn't believe it. I worked out with the team again. Six, this was like 6 a.m. workouts with everything. I didn't have, you know, they have tutors, all that. I didn't have any of that. So I just kind of was with the team. And I think the players started respecting me a lot. Made the team. Chose number 31 at the time. Because 31 was my favorite player, Reggie Miller. Right? You know, they had a pretty good 31 at Syracuse. They did. Yeah. So about game 14 into my sophomore year, Dave Schoenfeld, equipment guy, who's now with the Patriots, I walk in and he's number 15 with no name on it. And I'm like, what's, what's going on here? So he's like, what's going on? Come here. I screwed up. We walk out to the dome. It's full of Villanova game. He goes, look at the Raptors. It's number 31 pro Washington. <laughs> so, so I wore pearls number for a long time. And Bayheim never had seen you with your jet, with your, no, your yeah, warm up over. On everything. No one just, you never, you never took it off. No, no. If they had ever needed you in a game and had to throw you in, everyone would have oh, realized no. this guy's wearing Pearl's yeah, number. Yeah, this, you yeah, might have been booed out of the dome. <laughs> yeah. This is definitely, this is definitely not Pearl. Definitely not Pearl. Yeah. So, um, and the next number I picked was 15, which is funny because that's Mello. <laughs> so I let Merrill, Mello have my number when he came to Syracuse. No, I'm just kidding. Did you, did you try maybe get Jim Brown 44, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, they, did they still give that to the star football they player? No that one. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, it's my, so my sophomore year, I'm sorry, my senior year, it was game two against like Cornell or something. We're up about a good, uh, I don't know, 40? <laughs> Let's say 37. And, um, 20 seconds, uh, 30 seconds, I was shooting three and made it. So Colgate takes another shot. We get the rebound. Now it's like 15 seconds left in the game. Bam, so I dribble it out. I'm on the right wing, right next to coach, right there. I'm dribbling out. I'm looking. No one's kind – of, everyone starts, like, shaking hands. <laughs> I was still dribbling, like, God, I want to shoot this. And I shot it for, like, three seconds left, all net. <laughs> so I had two threes in 20 seconds. <laughs> coach looks at me like, oh, no. And the Colgate coach was like, what, now you went by 43 instead of 37, you know? So we go in the locker room, and uh, I think Pete Thamel was in there and some other guys, and he said, hey, like, what, what are you shooting those threes for? I said, what's going to do, not play me? <laughs> you know, so we tell that story all the time, yeah, Coach. But, yeah, th- those are some of the best times of my life, and, and Coach ended up really helping me, you know, with connections and stuff like that, making calls for me. The book is Network, Training the NBA's Best and Finding the Keys to Greatness with trainer Rob McClanahan, Scribner Books. You can get it online. You can get it in the bookstore starting this week. It's release is uh, October 1st. Rob, great visiting, walking back down memory lane with you. Yeah, well, thank you, man. You've been there for me this whole time, and I want to thank you for uh, supporting me. And, uh, you know, hopefully we, uh, you know, people enjoy this book. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to our guest today, trainer Rob McClanahan, author of the new book, Network, Training the NBA's Best and Finding Keys to Greatness. Be sure to check out some other great NBA podcasts on ESPN, The Low Post with Zach Lowe and Brian Windhurst and The Hoop Collective. As always, you can listen to new and archived episodes of those shows as well as The Woj Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll catch you next time.